Resurrection Sunday is the day we Christians recognize as the single most important event in the course of human history. This is the day that changed the world. It's a day we celebrate the only story I know that begins with a funeral and ends with a victory. Jesus' resurrection proved that Jesus was the real thing. He was the truth. He is the truth. And that's a big deal because Jesus made some pretty outstanding promises throughout his life. And he said things like in John 14, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus said, Jesus said in John 14, 12, truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And Jesus said, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus clearly explained throughout his life that he was going to suffer. He was going to, to be killed. He was going to be put on a cross. And three days later, he would rise again. And that's exactly what he did. And for that reason, Resurrection Sunday is the greatest day in the history of the world. Let's read the story together. Uh, we're going to go to the Gospel of Mark um, and I'm going to read from Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. If you have a Bible and you want to read with us, uh, please do. We'll have the words on the screen behind me. But we also have a stack of Bibles. And if you're like an old school person and you like the feel of the paper on your fingers, we got that for you. Uh, because this is God's word and it is important. This is the story, Mark's story of the resurrection, the first resurrection Sunday. So from Mark chapter 1, um, chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Mark's version of the resurrection story gives us a, a powerful picture. I, I like how the Gospel of Mark likes to keep things pretty simple, and these pictures are pretty powerful. 
Last week, we, we were from Mark's gospel in the, the entry into Jerusalem. And, and you remember the story was go, uh, go find, untie, and the donkey and bring. And, and then today, we're going to see the same simple truth, but in different words. We're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about the rock. We're going to talk about the angel and the good news. The first thing I want you to notice is the rock. Notice the focus of the conversation in verse 2. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Both Marys and Salome were on their way to anoint the body of Jesus. This was the custom of the time. It was part of the burial process. It served a purpose of respect and also in honor, but it was important to the community that it be done as well. And so as they were making their way to do this very important ritual, this important custom, it's no doubt that they were discussing the events of the past few days, everything that had happened, the arrest, the trial, the crucifixion, and the burial, all these things weighed heavy on their hearts. No doubt, they were struggling with what was, was happening. They were incredibly shocked and in deep mourning over the loss of a friend, but also the hope of their dreams. And so in this distressed state of mind, as they, they approached the, the tomb, they had completely forgot about a small detail, except it wasn't such a small detail. It was a big, huge stone right in front of the tomb that was not going to be easy to get rid of. And so Mark, it's Mark's gospel is the only one that gives us this conversation. We get this picture of what's happening on route to the tomb and the women, they come to the conclusion that there's no way they're going to move the tomb, move the stone themselves. They're going to need some help. And so they ask, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? And, and that's why these women, they, they knew something was wrong when they got to the tomb and discovered that the stone had been rolled away. I suspect that they were actually probably more worried about the absence of the stone than how they were going to get rid of it. They probably had ideas on how they were going to get rid of the stone. They were thinking about how they were going to get rid of the rock, the heavy thing in front. But when they saw the empty tomb, when they saw the stone had been rolled away, the problem changed. All of a sudden, things got pretty serious because they didn't know what to do with the problem of the empty tomb. Now, it's a predicament that I think reminds us of our own tendency. And the tendency is this. Sometimes we would rather hold on to the rock than to experience the reality of the empty tomb. It's not because we like rocks so much, although I actually have to confess my wife really does like rocks. Some people do like rocks, and uh, this is great except for when we like to travel because she likes to collect rocks. And, and so we have on my shelf at my house a jar. I think we have a few jars now, but a jar of many rocks. And, and with each rock, each set of rocks, I can tell you a luggage story that's not so pleasant. You know, sometimes rocks can get in the way of things. They're, they're actually they're great memory markers. We use them to, to mark memories, but rocks can get in the way of moving forward in life. And another thing about rocks is sometimes we like to have pet rocks. 
I don't know if, if this was true for you when you were growing up. When I was a kid, uh, we would, people would actually buy pet rocks. And I was thinking about that. Who, who would ever let their kid go buy a pet rock? And I was thinking, well, my family was kind of poor. Maybe that's why we had pet rocks. We were allowed to get rocks, and we could name them and paint them and color them, and we had pet rocks. And what a horrible thing. But seriously, rocks can be a big problem in our lives because rocks can be heavy and huge. And, and maybe the rock that you have, you've had with you for a long time. I mean, we've all made enough mistakes in our lives that we feel like maybe we don't deserve. We, or we, we don't deserve freedom from the rock. The rock is ours. We've earned it. The guilt, the pain, the, the discouragement, the disappointment, whatever that rock is, sometimes it becomes a little pet and we hold on to it. We figure, well, I might as well get used to this thing because I earned it. And so we expect the rock. We, we live with the rock. We, we accept that this rock is immovable and unchangeable. We just got to get used to it. But guess what? I want to tell you something today. I want to tell you that God is still in the rock removal business. I want to tell you that God is still able to remove and roll away the stone and the rock that's in your life. Today, I want to introduce you to the one who moves the heaviest stones and can handle the most daunting of tasks. I want to introduce you to someone who is able to roll the stone away. I want to introduce you to Jesus, who is risen from the dead. So let me ask you, what giant rock are you holding on to? What keeps you from becoming who God has called you to be? Is it something from the past? Is it a, is a relationship that's gone sour? Is it a physical illness? Is it an expectation where you had hoped that God would do this thing, but it hasn't happened in the way that you thought? Maybe the rock that you have is actually in the way of your relationship with Jesus. Maybe that's the rock. I would guess that for most of us, there is some large spiritual stone standing in the way of what God wants to do. There's one issue, one defining moment, and you just can't get around it. It looms large, it's heavy, and you feel that no one can move it, and it's standing in the way you need to know that God is still in the rock removal business. God is still able to move it away. Take a moment, even now, even, even in this message and in this service, to ask the God of the universe to help you with that rock. Invite him to do a little rock demolition even now, even as we join together. Don't let the rock ruin your life. Ask him to remove it right now. Because if you do, God will do an amazing thing for you. For the, for the three women in this passage this morning, they found that the stone was rolled away. Look at verses 4 through 7. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was heavy, which was large, it had been rolled away. They entered the tomb, and they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. 
but go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. The tomb is empty. The tomb is open. The stone is rolled away, not so that Jesus can get out, but so that the women can get in and they can see that Jesus is not there. The tomb, looking into the tomb, the women see a young man dressed in white and they are startled. They see this angelic figure who gives a typical angel response. He says, don't be afraid. So the second thing I want us to notice in this passage is the angel. There seems to be this notion that when God wants to do something in our lives, that it's, it's, it's always peaceful. It just kind of nudges us along the, the, the way. It's, it's calm and it's always nice. But sometimes God's intervention can be unsettling and startling. And that's why, that's why angels, have you ever noticed this, noticed this in the Bible? That angels tend to start their conversations by saying, don't be afraid. I mean, it's like, it's like God has to give them some tutoring in, in angel school. And, and God he gets the angels and he says, now listen, listen, angels. You, look here, when you approach the people, you can't just start saying, thus saith the Lord. You've got to calm their fears. So say something like, don't be afraid. Don't be alarmed. That's angel school 100, class 100. They get that lesson. But the angel's message tells us that Jesus is risen from the tomb, and now there is a message to share. These women are called from that empty tomb to go and share the news of Jesus. The angel makes it clear. But go, here's that word, go tell his disciples. And Peter, meet me in Galilee. You see, once you've been touched and changed by the power of the resurrected Lord, you have a message to share. It changes you. You are compelled and you are moved to meet Jesus where he is at work. For the women, that meant that they were to go to Galilee. And to understand what this meant, we should know a little bit about the geography of, of the Middle East because Galilee uh, was out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, anything that came from Galilee was not important because everything that was important happened in Jerusalem. It happened in the temple. And so when, when Jesus says, meet me in Galilee, when, when the women are sent to the disciples and they're all told to go to Galilee, it, it's a calling to go back to the ordinary places of life to find Jesus. They, they went back to the place of their home and their work and their neighborhoods and their family because the risen Christ was there waiting for them. I think it's a bit ironic, actually, that the Gospel of Mark describes the women as worrying about how to get into the tomb when the real worry is how they're going to get out of the tomb. They're there. They're stuck. They, they're pretty comfortable now. It, but it's true. We have to get out of the tomb. It's tempting to try to live life in that empty tomb where Jesus was, but that's not where we're called to be. We are called to be where Jesus is. The angel is challenging the women. He's challenging us to step out into the world and take up the earthly ministry of Jesus. Now, Galilee isn't some special holy place. It's not, a, it's not a sacred land. I mean, maybe it is now, but it wasn't back then. The Galilee is the ordinary 
It's the everyday encounters of life. It means sharing the hope of Jesus with the people you meet every day, wherever you are, all the time. It means loving people who are difficult to love. It means acting in truth and mercy at the grocery store, at school, or even when no one's looking. When you enter Galilee with the intent of witnessing to the resurrected Savior, you can expect to meet him at any moment. When the angel says he is going ahead of you to Galilee, it's a promise that there you will see him. So there's one more important part of this story we need to see. I'm going to call it the good news. And it's, and it's in Mark chapter 16, verse 7. Actually, it's the end of that verse that captures my attention. There you will see him just as he told you. You see, it's important to know that Jesus keeps his word. His promises are true. And that turns out to be a good thing. That's a big deal because there's a lot of promises in the Bible that Jesus offers. I mean, can you imagine how exciting it must have been to these early disciples to realize in this moment that all the promises Jesus made are going to be true? They're true. Because long before Jesus came to earth, long before he was born in a manger, before he grew up and, and was arrested and died on the cross and rose again and went back to heaven, God promised he was going to do all that. It was a promise thousands of years before. God said, someday I'm going to come to earth and I'm going to, I'm going to be called the Messiah. I'm going to be human. I'm going to show you what God is like. I am going to offer salvation for sin. I am going to save you. He said, I'm going to come and I'm going to do several things. First of all, I'm going to offer forgiveness for sin. I'm going to offer a clean start, a new life. And secondly, I'm going to show you what life is supposed to be. I'm going to give you purpose. I'm going to give you meaning. I'm going to make your life better. And thirdly, I'm going to invite you to live with me in eternity. I'm going to invite you to a place called heaven. He made all these promises. And God always makes good on his promises. So there's one promise that's really clear and I think really exciting. We read about it in John 3:16. It says, "For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life." You know, it's a familiar verse. We know that one, but sometimes I think we underestimate it. I think we underestimate, we undervalue the power of this promise. We underestimate what eternity is going to be like. It's probably because we've seen too much, too much TV, too much, too many movies. You know, you see these movies where they picture heaven, you know, everybody dressing up in white robes with little, you know, little uh, halos and wings, and they're all singing in choir. Now, I know some of you like to sing. You know, I, get, I get it. But somehow for me, that's not a very exciting picture of heaven. I mean, don't you think God can do better? than that? I mean, come on. Why would God make heaven like that? This is the same God who made pizza and chocolate cake. This is the same God who created a sunrise and a rainbow, the same one who creates laughter and sunsets. He's the one who makes everything great. Do you really think heaven is going to be boring? No way. The Bible says, in fact, the Bible says you cannot even imagine how great heaven is going to be. You can't fathom it. In 1 Corinthians 
We read, however, it is as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Well, the Bible says that God has been preparing eternity for generations and generations. Now, you remember Jesus was a carpenter, so I think there's something to this. I mean, it's going to be a good thing. Jesus knows how to build. He knows how to build perfection. It means that heaven is going to be an awesome place. Jesus said in John 14, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? I picture heaven as, as this place with many rooms. And one of those rooms is going to be like a worship room. And we're going to get to, to sing together. And I, I love our, our music and our, our musician, our, our, our band, our, our worship folks. But I, I think heaven, in heaven, music's even going to be better. I think, uh, you know, I love to be together in this community and, and raise our voices to the Lord, but I think somehow in heaven it's even going to be a little better. But there's going to be this worship piece because we're going to worship Jesus and it's going to be awesome. I think so. And I think there's going to be this place, this, this room where Jesus is teaching. I mean, talk about good preaching. You're going to get the best in heaven. Then there's going to be this theology room. I'm going to love this room where you can go in there and you can ask all those tough questions. Questions like, what was it like in the belly of that fish? Or what did Jesus write in the sand? I want to know. Or, or God, why did you create mosquitoes? You know, deep theological questions like that. We're going to have these discussions. And, and that's what we're going to do in heaven because heaven is not going to be boring. There are going to be things to do. There are going to be activities because, because God wants us to be active. There, there are going to be things we've never done before and experiencing new adventures and and better than that, we're going to get to meet people, people we've never met before, people we've heard about like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We're going to get set down with those guys, have coffee and learn and find out what it was like. And we're going to meet people we've never met before. And we're going to meet people that we've loved, people who are there. We're going to see loved ones. We're going to celebrate because heaven is going to be about community. Heaven is really going to be an awesome place and it's worth getting excited about it's worth looking forward to you see the resurrection of jesus changes us we're no longer ruled by fear death has lost its sting and, and we see things from a heavenly perspective it, it changes everything i find that children sometimes get this better than us adults in fact i remember uh, my daughter, Sarah, when she was, she was eight years old, she came home from school one day. She'd been working on this project. She was so excited. So she was so thrilled to tell me uh, and to show me what she had made. And at first, I wasn't real sure what to make of it because it, the question on this thing was, what will I look like when I'm 100? And, and underneath the question, she had, you can see it there, she had drawn two tombstones. And one of them was marked Sarah, and the other was marked John. And, you know, you can see that. And, and Sarah, she explained matter-of-factly. She said, well, in 100 years, we're both going to be dead. Uh, but you're going to be dead before I'm dead. But we're both going to be in heaven with Jesus. And she said it matter-of-factly. No fear, no hesitation with all the hope in the world. And I thought, wow, I'm a good parent. My eight-year-old daughter gets the deep theological understanding of heaven and looking toward hope and what Jesus is going to do. She's not afraid of death. And 
Then my older daughter, Rachel, wants to give it a try, too. And so she takes a, a paper, and she says uh, on her paper, what will, I, what will I look like when I'm 100 years old? And, but her picture is different. Instead, it's, uh, she's not dead in her picture. Neither is Elizabeth, neither is Andrew. Only Sarah's dead. And, and Rachel explains, well, Sarah wants to be dead. So there went my parenting ego right out the window. That's true. Nobody gets it all the time. But I do believe the resurrection of Jesus changes us. We are not ruled by fear any longer. Death has lost its sting, and we see things from a different perspective. Heaven is going to be an awesome place. Heaven is going to be amazing, but there's something we need to know about heaven. Heaven will not be for everybody. The Bible says that heaven is only reserved for God's children. The Bible makes it clear that God created the whole world and he loves the world. He makes it clear that God created people and he loves people so very much. He loves all people. That is clear in the Bible. But it means that we are not automatically a child of God. You have to be born again. You have to be born into the family of God to be a child of God. You have to say, God, I want to be part of your family. I want you as my father. I want to know forgiveness of sin. I want to know your plan for life. I want to, I want to give up my way, and I want to submit. I want to live your way. I want to follow you. I want to trust you. I want to follow your mission. So how do you, how do you become a child of God I tell you, that's the most important question you'll ever ask in your life. And the Bible tells us in John 1.12, it says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. When you believe in Jesus' promise and when you receive his grace, his forgiveness, what he did on that cross, when you make it your own and you and you follow Jesus, you become spiritually born into his family. And, and when you've crossed that, sometimes we call that the line of faith, when you really say, I'm, I'm, I'm really going to, I believe it. I'm really going to live it. I'm really going to allow the Holy Spirit to come in to Jesus to change my life. When you really claim it and make it and allow Jesus to love you as he wants to, you cross the line of faith, and that promise is yours. And you celebrate like we celebrate today because Christ is risen. He is the resurrected Lord. And that is why we are here today. That is why this world is, is what it is because Jesus wants to remove the rock, the stone that is in your life. He wants to take it away. He wants to call you. He wants you to know you have a purpose and a plan in life that is awesome and outstanding. And he wants to give you a home, an eternal home with him in a place we call heaven. He wants to forgive every sin you've ever done. He wants to do all of this and so much more in your life to give you a full life, an abundant life. Jesus wants that for you. Will you trust him? Will you take him at his word? Can you believe, can you really believe that Jesus is risen today and that he is still here? He is still at work 
at work in your life, at work in mine, at work here in this place, and calls us to join him where he is already at work. Let us pray. Lord, we are so thankful that you are indeed risen from the grave. The tomb is empty. The stone is gone. Lord, and, and if we believe in you, if we understand and accept your love, then that stone in our own life can be rolled away. And we too feel the power and joy of that call. Lord, we are so thankful to get to celebrate Resurrection Sunday because you are risen, you rose from the grave, and you are still alive today at work in us and through us. Help us to follow you and to celebrate, to know the joy of your resurrection. We ask and we pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.